We are really blessed to have James with us. He works in the kids' ministry, works with me in young adult ministry, and he's frequently in the evening service as well. And uh, James is going to be leading us into the next stage of our John series this morning, and so really looking forward and excited to see what God has laid in his heart from the text for us. So I'm going to pray for you, Jamesy, and then you can take us away. Oh, Father, we thank you so much, God. You are such a good and wonderful God. We thank you for the work that you are doing in and amongst us. And we bless you, Jesus, that you lived such a wonderful life for us and that you caused faithful disciples to write it down and to preserve it for us so that we could see the evidence of your life even now. That your word is so wonderful and powerful that when it reaches out, it never returns to you void. We bless you for that, God. It is the sword of the Spirit that penetrates between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, cutting right to the heart and bringing the conviction of the Father. We bless you for that. And so just as we prepare to sit under your word now, we pray for the anointing of the Spirit to rest on James and that you would grace him, God, with the ability to unpack your word for us, that your words would penetrate our hearts and mold us and shape us to be more like Jesus. We ask this in the wonderful name of our King Jesus. Amen. 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 Awesome. Thank you, Brad. Good morning, church. It's such an honor and a privilege to be sharing with you all this morning. Somehow, uh, I have managed to evade preaching in the 10 o'clock service. I can't believe this is my my first time, but it really is an honor, and I'm so excited. I preached in the 8 o'clock service a few times and uh, in in the evening service once, and so I'm really, really excited to be here this morning. As Brad introduced me, thanks, Trev. (laughs) As Brad introduced me, my name is James. Uh, If you don't know me well, uh, this year I've been at Kino Church for 10 years. Um, I got saved. I came to know Jesus radically with Roland across the way about 10 years ago, this month actually. Um, And since then, I went through the rest of high school. I was in grade 9, so I was 15. I'm 25 now. Um, I encountered Jesus. My life changed. And as I went through high school, I received a call in my life to go into full-time ministry. And so after school, I went and trained theologically. I graduated in 2019. And since then, I've been here. And this year, I've been so privileged to come on board full-time as a ministry worker for the year. It's been an incredible blessing. This morning, as we continue in our John series, I just want us to think back to what we've encountered in the last number of chapters. The last few chapters especially, Jesus has been doing these incredible signs and miracles. But every time he does a sign or a miracle, the people respond with these various mixed responses. And that's because their understanding of Jesus as the Messiah Their understanding of who the Messiah should be did not always match up to who Jesus really is and to how he lived and to what he taught them. And so Jesus often came unexpectedly and he did things that were unexpected in front of his disciples and in front of the religious leaders. Because the Messiah was meant to be a political leader who rose up and led Israel out of Roman captivity and restored the kingdom of Israel. It was meant to be a political leader in their eyes. That was what they had hoped for. That was what they expected. And so as we engage with chapter 13, it's going to be no different. Jesus is still going to be doing things that are unexpected. And so I've titled this message, An Unexpected Love. Because we see now a private moment with Jesus and his disciples. And he loves them by washing their feet. And it is the most unexpected form of love that he could ever have displayed for them. So in the first section of of chapter 13, we're going to be looking at how Jesus washed their feet and what that reveals to us about who he is. 
And once we've seen that, we're going to analyze two different responses to this love. One from Judas, who were led to betray Jesus, and one from Peter. And that's going to be the journey through John chapter 13 this morning. Jesus is going to embarrass his disciples and wash their feet and love them in a way that they could never have expected. And often, Jesus does things in our lives that are unexpected. And when he does, can we recognize them? Can we recognize and see Jesus correctly? Because John's theme verse is that we would know Jesus, that we would believe in him, that we would have life in his name. But in order to know him, we have to see him correctly in the scriptures. So I pray as we engage with chapter 13 that our eyes and our ears and our hearts would be open to see Jesus, to believe in him, and find life in his name as he does something unexpected. Let's open up to chapter 13. If you have your Bibles with you, it will be on the screen though. We're going to read the first 17 verses first as we look at his unexpected love as he washes his disciples' feet. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Wow. What a deep, intimate moment with Jesus and his disciples here. Jesus is again revealing his identity as the Messiah and King, but he does so in the most unexpected way possible. Remember, the disciples were expecting a political leader who was battle-ready to rise up and to lead God's people out of Roman rule and into freedom. And so everything that Jesus does along the way often is unexpected, and this is not an exception to that. And there's just four things that I would like us to see about Jesus' unexpected love in these verses before we look at Judas's and Peter's responses. The first thing that I think we see here is that the love of Jesus is aware of his coming betrayal and death. 
in verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. And we knew, and we know that he knew that, that one of his disciples was going to betray him to his death. In verse 11, it says that Jesus knew who would betray him. And we know that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified, and he knows he's going to be betrayed by one of his own. And his response is completely unexpected. He doesn't strike preemptively and kick Judas out or expel him or run away or flee or become vengeful or angry. Instead, he lays himself low, and he loves his disciples, even Judas, to the furthest extent that he can show them. This is the most unexpected love for the disciples. And this is not something they would ever have thought that the Messiah would do. That's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus' love is aware of his own authority and power as the Messiah, as the one sent from God. In verse 3, we see that John writes that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus is fully aware of his impending betrayal and death, but he's also aware that he has all the power to put an end to it. He could simply choose to not let this happen. With one word, he could stop all of the suffering that he's going to go through. Yet the king of heaven comes down to earth, and he loves those who are about to betray him and forsake him. In Matthew 26, I have put it in there now, Jesus says to his disciples, as he's being arrested, he says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. Yet he chooses to wash his disciples' feet and not to stop the suffering he's going to go through. That's the second thing that stood out to me as I was preparing about his unexpected love. is aware of his authority and power. The third is that Jesus' love humbles us. In verses 4 to 5, he gets up from the table and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And I'm sure many of you already know that this was an act that would never have happened before. If you're not sure what this was about, in, back in that day, the Jews would walk around and their feet would get, because they wore sandals, their feet would get incredibly dirty and full of muck and grime. And when they came home, they wouldn't wash their own feet, no. A, a, a servant or a slave, the lowest person in that house, would wash the feet of the family members and of guests who would arrive for dinner. In fact, some of the Jews would not even let a Jewish slave wash their feet because although he or she was a slave, at least they were Jewish. And so no, they couldn't do this embarrassing task. And so many Jewish people would only have Gentile slaves or non-Jewish slaves to wash their feet because this act of washing feet was reserved for the lowest, the least important person of that society. And so when Jesus gets down on his knees, takes off his outer garments and begins to wash his disciples' feet, This is the most shocking and unexpected thing, an act of love that the Messiah could possibly do before going to the cross. And I'm sure you can understand why Peter then has trouble understanding why this needs to happen. Why is his his leader, the Messiah, the one who's coming to save Israel, why is he getting low and washing my feet? There are servants who can do that. 
But Peter was still seeing Jesus through the eyes of his expectation of the Messiah. He hadn't yet understood that what Jesus was doing was vastly different. But here Jesus shows us an amazing example of how love and leadership work in God's kingdom. This was probably the most selfless act that he could do for them before going to the cross. And it was completely unexpected. But that is his unexpected love. Making himself low and washing his disciples' feet. Doing the task nobody else wanted to do. That's the third aspect. And the fourth truth about this unexpected love is that this love changes how we love one another. Jesus actively teaches this. In verse 15 to 17, he wraps up this beautiful moment. And he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. And in verse 17, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This love of Jesus is so significant and powerful that it impacts how we love others and it moves us to love others the same way that we have received love from Jesus. He is about to leave the disciples and go to the cross and later he will ascend and go back to the right hand of the Father. And so he needs them when he's gone. He needs them to continue the work that he was doing and he needs them to be unified. And so his first instruction to them is love one another the way I've loved you. I've given you an example of what it looks like. In verse 16, he says, The slave is not greater than the master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And what he means by that is, if, if I, your master, the Lord of heaven and earth, can come and wash your feet, there is no excuse for you not to do the same for one another. There is no hierarchical, hierarchical class here. You are not too important to wash the feet of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Jesus models a love for them and for us that is completely emptied of himself. Today, we often choose to love our spouses or our friends and our family because it's easy to love them most of the time. It's relatively easy and it, relatively, it costs us relatively little to love those around us who we already love on a daily basis. In fact, it often makes us feel good. Sometimes we can love people in a way that is selfish. But can we love them in a way that is embarrassing, that is unrewarding, that is dirty, and that is, doesn't feel good, It doesn't make you feel good about yourself? This is the love that Jesus is modeling. It is emptied of his own desires. This is what I imagine being a parent uh, of young kids to be like. I'm not a parent yet. Uh, I really want to be, and I'm sure I will be one day. But this is what I imagine. If you think of parents who have small children, I'm sure your parents can relate to this, and you, you will relate to this. I can't yet, but one day I will. If you think of parents of, of small, small children, they are perpetually tired all the time. How are you? I'm tired. Every day. How are you? I'm still tired. I'm just going to stop asking you because you're always tired, and I understand. You have small children. They keep you awake. You don't sleep very much. They also always have something stuck to them. Yeah. Angus is like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, hallelujah. The Lord sees you, bro. They always have something stuck to them, whether it's food or a sticker or drawings or, or even something worse that I won't even go into. And I really feel for them. They spend day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, with little rest, little to no rest. 
They might get screamed at by their kids for cutting their sandwich in the wrong shape or for not cutting off the crust or something silly like that. I hear about it all the time. Yet they love their kids with a love that I think represents and models Christ's love for us that is unrewarding and where there is no expectation of love in return. Daily parents love their kids while they are trying to find various creative ways to destroy the house and themselves in the process, no doubt. And I think this love of parents that is unrewarding and dirty and behind the scenes and is not glorious at all in the public view, this love is something of the love that Christ loves us with. Now that we've seen this love, those are the four truths that I wanted us to take away in these first 17 verses, we're going to move into a space where we see two different responses to this love. Neither of them are particularly encouraging, unfortunately. But at the end, Jesus is going to encourage us from this. In verses, 30, uh, verses 18 to 30, we see the response of Judas. Let's read together. Now Jesus moves to, back to teaching. He says, I'm not saying these things to all of you, talking to his disciples. I know the ones that I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table, and Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who is he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? The Skinner going on here. And Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I I give the bread that I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what what Jesus meant. I don't know how they didn't know. He said, it's the one I give the bread. He dips the bread and he gives it to Judas. But since Judas was their treasurer, some thought that Jesus was telling him to go and pay for food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Let's see what we learn about Judas's response here. We already know that Judas's heart has begun to turn away from Jesus. Rolls touched on it last week in his sermon on John chapter 12. When Mary pours expensive perfume over Jesus' feet and uses her hair to, to dry and wash his feet, Judas is indignated by it. He doesn't like it. And he says that the money should have gone to the poor from that perfume. But how does Judas get to this place from being a disciple who's walked with Jesus for years to a place where he's about to betray Jesus to his death? Let's look a bit more closely at verses 26 and 27. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas. It should be on there, yeah. Son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry, do what you're going to do. This is quite a hectic verse. But what does Jesus mean? By Satan entering into him. What does John mean? Sorry. Well, John doesn't record the broader conversation about this spiritual warfare going on, but Luke thankfully does. And since John already has Luke's gospel when he writes this, he doesn't include all of it, but he just simply alludes to it. 
In Luke's gospel, Luke records this same time frame as the, as the Last Supper, when Jesus uses this meal to institute communion. And so we can infer that the, the bread that Jesus, that Jesus is giving to Judas is probably communion bread, dipped into the bowl, which might have even been wine, for we know. And once Judas eats it, a demonic influence starts to come into him in a new way. I think there's two warnings for us here from Judas. The first warning is that it is possible to participate in church, yet still be so far away from Jesus. You could say that Judas was the first treasurer of the early church, and so he had, he had a position within the disciples. He had an active role. He was a valued member of the group. He had an important job to do. Yet his heart had begun to long for money more than after Jesus. And this love for money had festered in his heart and overtaken his love for the Lord and any desire that he had to know Jesus. I think this passage is a deep warning for us that we can hold high positions within the church and we can be heavily, heavily involved, but our hearts can be somewhere completely uninterested in Jesus. And there is a warning there for us to heed. The second thing, the second warning for us here is that we are in a spiritual battle for our allegiance to Jesus. Yes, Jesus is calling us to give to give him our allegiance, to put our faith in him, but the enemy is also calling you away from Jesus actively. Satan does not want us to put our faith in Jesus. And so Jesus is calling us to receive his love and to enter into his kingdom, but the enemy is doing everything he can to draw us away from that. Once again, we don't see this very much in this passage, but in Luke again, in Luke chapter 22, Luke unpacks this for us a bit more. And Jesus says this to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Remember, this is Peter he's talking to, Simon Peter. That your faith should not fail. So, when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. In Luke's gospel, this is all happening in one night, in the same night as John's gospel is right now. And I think it gives us an insight into the spiritual battle that we are in. Satan has asked to sift the followers of Jesus like wheat and to test them and to tempt them with everything he possibly can. And Judas has given in. Judas has allowed his desire for money and wealth and whatever else it might have been to outgrow his desire for Jesus. And in doing so, he has given a foothold in his life to Satan and to his minions. When we allow sin to sit and fester in our lives and wrong motives, we open up a greater, greater grip on our lives for the enemy to come and influence us and to wreak havoc and destruction. And there's no doubt an element of demonic work and demonic attack that Judas is under, and he's not fighting back. In fact, his heart is so far from Jesus that he can have a meal with Jesus and have Jesus wash his feet, yet still immediately go out and betray him afterwards. That's the first response to Jesus that I wanted us to see in this chapter. And it's really heavy. The next one is a little bit less heavy, but still not very encouraging, at least initially. And it's the response of Peter. In the last seven verses of the chapter, let's look at Peter's heart and his wrestle with what Jesus has done and with with Jesus' mission to go to the cross. 
It says, as soon as Judas left the room going out into the night, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives his glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I'll be with you for only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Again, not very encouraging initially. And there's two things that have to happen here in these last verses. Jesus tries to begin to teach about how him going to the cross is going to be the glory he's going to enter into. And this is his mission. And this is what he came here to do. But Peter just goes, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I come with you? Let's first look at Jesus' instruction and then Peter's interruption. Judas has now left and the true followers of Jesus now remain at the table with Jesus after dinner. He knows he's going to be arrested and so he starts to prepare them like he did earlier. He knows he's going to leave them and he has to, he ha- they have to know that once he is gone, they need to love each other the way that he loved them. And so he repeats his instruction from earlier. And he says in verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There are plenty of groups of people and churches and Christian bodies and religious bodies who do really, really wonderful works. But church, if we are not loving each other as we do these works, we are not representing Jesus properly. The love we have for one another must undergird and be the foundation of us going and loving other people outside the church. If we're not loving each other first, we're not representing Jesus. The disciples' love for one another is the first mark of their allegiance to him and is the foundational mark that separates them from other groups of people. And in short, that's Jesus' instruction. I could preach a whole sermon on just those few verses, but we have to move on. The second part is Peter's interruption. You can imagine his dismay and the disciples' confusion at why Jesus has to leave. I think this is what causes Peter to get up and make a scene. Because remember, Peter is still expecting the Messiah to lead Israel in revolution against the Romans and to overthrow them and to reestablish Israel. And so Simon asks, Lord, where are you going? He ignores Jesus' teaching and instruction to love one another. He just asks, where are you going? Why can't I come with you? He says, why can't I come now, Lord? He asked in verse 37. I'm ready to die for you. Die for me, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus here exposes Peter's heart and lack of maturity and lack of understanding of his job as the Messiah. 
Peter thinks that he can go with Jesus and help Jesus to bear his burden and to fulfill his mission, but he can't. He can't because Jesus is going to the cross to die for him. And nobody can walk alongside Jesus and help him truly bear the burden of dying for the sins of the world. It's not just Judas who needs saving. It's Peter and the disciples too. And it's not just Judas and the Pharisees who will nail Jesus to the cross. It's Peter and the disciples too. It's all of their sin that is the problem that Jesus is coming to solve. And church, it's our sin too that nailed him to the cross. Have you ever watched a movie that has a hero and a villain as the main theme and the the hero spends the whole movie or or book or film fighting off the bad guys and saving the day and protecting his family and friends and protecting the world? I love those movies. My favorite is Lord of the Rings by quite some way. Um, And I love to imagine myself as I watch or as I read. I love to imagine myself as the hero doing the fighting, beating the bad guys and saving people. And I think that's a desire in in, in men's hearts to be the hero often. That's why I just want to on our dads again for a moment. You guys are heroes in your own right. But we love to put ourselves in the shoes of the heroes, not the shoes of the villains, obviously. It makes sense. But the problem is that we love to do that with the Bible as well. We like to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus or in the shoes of the disciples when they do something right. But actually, this passage and Peter's failure to understand tells us that the only hero in this story is Jesus. There are no other good guys. Everyone else has failed. Jesus is the only one who can save the day. We cannot help Jesus save the day. Neither could Peter. And so Peter, one of his closest disciples, has just been revealed that he's about to deny him three times. And he doesn't realize that he is part of the problem. And so what I think this means for us is that if Peter is capable of denying Jesus, so are we. If Peter could spend three years with Jesus and become one of his closest disciples, yet still deny him three times, in our flesh we can fail like that too. And we need to be aware of that. Peter wasn't ready for the persecution he would face and the testing he would face when Jesus was arrested. That makes me wonder if I'm ready as well. And I would hope that I am. This passage doesn't just expose Judas' betrayal of Jesus. It exposes Peter's flaws and failures as well. And it also exposes ours. You could say that this passage exposes our dirty feet that need washing. And this seems quite heavy, but at the end of the day, this passage is actually an encouragement to us. Why? Because Jesus has already loved Peter, and already loved the disciples, and already washed their feet, and already chosen them to be his. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, and he knew that Peter would deny him, and that all his followers would run away when he's arrested, and they wouldn't stick by him. And he already chose to preemptively love them. And that is that unexpected love of Jesus shining back through the rest of the passage. When things seem dark, when Judas is going to betray him, and now Peter is going to deny him too. But don't worry, Peter. Jesus has already loved him. Luke chapter uh, 22 records this again for us. 
Where did I put it in my notes now? <laughs> Dan, can you put that up, that next verse? Yeah, here we go. In Luke chapter 22, we see that Simon has already, that Jesus has already asked Peter, has already <laughs> prayed for Peter, excuse me. And so when Peter turns back, we know the end of the story. When Peter turns back to Jesus after denying him, Jesus restores him and lifts him up again. And Peter will go on to become an incredible apostle of Jesus and become incredibly effective for God's kingdom as the early church starts to grow. And church, when we fail, when we deny Jesus, Jesus will be there too to restore us. That is the encouragement for us. That is the unexpected love of Jesus that comes back and washes our feet before we mess up already. Knowing our failures, Jesus has chosen you and he has already washed your feet if you have come to him. And that is John chapter 13. As we finish up and go back into a space of worship, I have two calls for us to respond to this morning. The first call is, have you received the love of Jesus? It won't be on the, on the, on the slides. Have you received this perfect, selfless love of Jesus in your life? And if you haven't, I'd love to encourage you to open up and ask God to come and show you what this love is like and to help you receive it. Because this love doesn't reward our merit. We have no merit and good works to put before God. His love doesn't just see the best in us. It overcomes our weakness and loves us despite our sin. His love doesn't honor our, our, our privileges or our class status. It washes our dirty feet and calls us to do the same. His love doesn't ignore our sin. It overcomes our sin and cleanses us. And this love of Jesus doesn't leave, it, leave you where he finds you. He picks you up. He makes us children of God. He washes us and he sends us out with a new identity. And if you haven't received this love of Jesus encourage you to come forward find someone we are here there are people here who will pray for you and, and, and pray with you and the second call is to actively go and love one another when last did you actively intentionally go and love your brother and sister in christ we we think that we love our brothers and sisters just by rocking up and greeting each other but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're loving them the way jesus loved us and even if those things even if Loving them intentionally seems beneath you. Know that the King of Kings came down and washed our feet. Worship team, you guys can come back up. I'm just going to pray for us. I think they're going to spend a moment just playing some music quietly before ending off with a song. And there'll be some time for us to reflect, to let the Lord come and open up our hearts and lead us in response to Him. I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you that on this Father's Day, on this morning, we can come to you with our dirty feet exposed before your holiness, knowing that you have already washed us clean. You have already called us and chosen us, and you have already loved us despite knowing our sin, despite knowing when we're going to mess up and deny you. Jesus, I pray that you would open up all of our hearts this morning to come and receive your unexpected love, your, some, your selfless, humble love.
where our hearts are hard, come and soften our hearts to receive you again, to see you, to believe in you, and to find life in you, Jesus. And Lord, help us to love one another as you've loved us, when it isn't pretty and when it doesn't feel good. Thank you that you've called us to love each other so much that the world will look at us and go, wow, they must know Jesus. Help us to get there, Lord. Come and lead us in faithful, obedient response this morning, I pray, as the team leads us. Amen.